0: Okay. Hi, welcome to episode 16 of In Your Corner Divorce Podcast. My name is Carly Israel and I am your host. No one wants a divorce. And while the process of divorce, the legal aspects, the logistics, and the aftermath are painful and overwhelming, I refuse to allow this to define me. I found myself sitting on the couch of a guy named Scott Simon, who I was only friends with on Facebook, and knew that he had gone through a divorce and was kicking life's ass. I reached out to him, ended up on his couch, connecting for hours, and a soul-sibling relationship unfolded. Scott taught me about the concept of the North Star, how when sailors are lost in the dark and cannot find their way home, they look to the North Star to get back on course and can always find home. He explained that my children would need to be my North Star, that in all decisions, I would need to look to them to guide me. North Star divorce is when you make your children your main focus. When all decisions are based on this question, will this make them feel emotionally safe or will this cause further harm? It is about adults putting aside our baggage, emotions, anger, and old stories. Today I have the privilege of talking with attorney and mediator Danielle Wilson. There is no entity in our society more powerful than family. As a result, legal issues arising out of intrafamily matters can be devastating. There are rarely simple and easy solutions to family law issues. However, with the proper guidance, a great many legal, financial, and emotional obstacles that face those going through the ending of a marriage and or the determination of custody of a child can be avoided or minimized. Danielle, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be on. I wish I would have known that before I did mine. My goodness. Um, So full disclosure, I found Danielle through one of my incredible divorce friends who used her as a mediator for her divorce. And it is a testament to the professional and person that Danielle is that she's on the podcast today because during our initial mediation to resolve a sticky issue with my co-parent, things got super emotional, not Danielle's fault. And I ended up in the bathroom ugly crying. Danielle reached out to me and told me she wanted an opportunity to work together and help. We did, and she did, and the rest is history. In a perfect world, soon-to-be-divorced couples would hire Danielle as their mediator to handle all the legal aspects of their dissolution and hire me as their divorce coach to get rid of the emotional baggage and focus on what is best for the children. But, Danielle, we know we don't always get what we want, and when dealing with couples who come to the table with anger and baggage, there is so much to wade through. So, welcome. Thank you. Tell me, how on earth, when you were in law school, did you choose to focus your career on helping couples through this tumultuous time?
1: Well, that's a good question. I often ask myself that. Um, I bet. Full disclosure: I like to uh, profess all of this by saying that I am happily married. I've been married for going on sixteen years. Um, I have two great kids, and a lot of times people ask me, how do you do this? Are you divorced yourself? And I said, no, my husband and I have a great, um, emotional and, you know, business-like connection where we can, uh, co-parent well and live in a house together and and just have a great, um, parenting and personal relationship. So.
0: That's so good to hear. I bet you, I'm going to bother you about that later. I'm going to write it down, but I bet you guys learn a lot from your job about what you don't want to do in your marriage. We sure do, we sure do. I will broach that later. So tell me, how do you choose divorce as your profession? Sure, so I
1: um, graduated from Ohio University with a bachelor's in science um, in legal communications, which oftentimes people have never heard of that. Um, But what legal communications allowed me to do was to learn about the interpersonal communication in legal settings. Um, which I don't think a lot of people think about, you know, there is this huge um, relationship behind the divorces and we need to look and specifically tailor um, our meetings and our interactions based on the interpersonal communication. Um, So that led me to- Can you give me an
0: example of what that means like in regular terms of interpersonal communication?
1: Sure. Um, So- Sometimes people are at different, different levels when we're at a divorce or when we're in a dissolution, and they may be unable to communicate their feelings, whereas their spouse is very vocal and able to communicate um, their feelings. And we have to find a happy medium between the two in order to work together in the business of divorcing.
0: I love that you keep referring to it as the business of divorcing because it is.
1: And it people sure is. don't
0: like to talk about that. Um, my last guest that's going to be posted next week, who's actually, um, she's divorced herself, remarried 20 plus years, loves her second marriage. And she is, one of the many roles she has is to be a marriage efficient. And okay. And she talks about how people forget when they're falling in love that, that you're creating a business together. And it's not sexy to talk about that when you're planning your, Vows and picking out centerpieces that this is going to be a business relationship. And I think that's one of the faults that a lot of us fall into in marriages when we're like, all we're doing is talking about bills and kids and house repair. Exactly. I think that it's important to remember when you get married, you're entering into
1: a contract. Mm. um, And you need to be able to focus in a divorce on the fact that this is. Our lives, our lives are a business. A lot of it revolves around financial decisions, uh, around scheduling. Uh, So we have to keep that in the back of our minds when we're working through the interpersonal communication of a divorce.
0: I'm just thinking ahead. I wish couples, you know, some couples go through religious, like premarital counseling. I wish couples had to go through like you before they got married to like set up to understand like what's going to be asked of them, especially when you're in your twenties and you have no clue what you're doing and it's just, I love this person. We're the same, whatever. And we want to get married. I think
1: that there are some actual great tools for individuals that are entering into a marriage. They're young or they're older, whatever their age is. Um, Prenuptial agreements, also referred yes. to as anti nuptial agreements, are a great way to deal with the business side of marriage before entering into the marriage contract. You can work out all of the details. Um, and then, if there is a need for a division of you know, parenting roles or of money, you can refer back to that contract, which tells you exactly what you're going to do in the event that you have to dissolve the marriage.
0: I just wish, I don't think I would have been capable of doing that at the time because like everyone else that's out there, even though the 50% of marriages end in divorce, I would be like, that's not me. It's not going to happen. Why set ourselves up to something that's not going to happen, which would have just been shooting myself in the foot anyways.
1: That's right. People don't like to think about it. It almost is a dirty word. Yes. um, When you think about uh, the word prenuptial agreements. Um, But in my experience, uh, people that I've worked with, You know, you don't have to be a millionaire to need a prenuptial agreement. It can be as narrow as agreeing to what a schedule would be like for the kids if you were to separate what schools they're going to attend, um, you know, how much money is going to be spent for educational purposes. Uh, Those are all good things that you can pre-agree to and and be on the same page before you enter into that contract of marriage.
0: That sounds like a genius idea. I think you need to be leading our government. Um, (laughs) I have a question do you only work with couples? So I work with
1: groups of people sometimes. Um, My role as an attorney is to represent um, one individual in the case. Um, When it comes to being a mediator, um, I work with a couple together as a neutral. Um, But then sometimes we need to bring in other people. And those people are, I guess quote-unquote experts in their areas. So um, if a couple comes to me and they're having a hard time dealing with spousal support, for example, um, we can bring someone into our relationship, our mediation relationship, uh, that can help us and guide us regarding the financial thing. So they can say, here's your tax return and here's your tax return. This is what you're making. Um, this is what the bills are coming out of the house. And this is how I would advise you both uh, to proceed in your lives separate from each other. So there's, it's nice to have a group of people working for you in a divorce um, and the emotional component of it too. Someone like you, Carly, that can help with sorting the business side from the emotional side because it's really, really hard to do.
0: Yeah, I, like I was telling you before we started recording, I spent so much money on my divorce because so many of the things that we were fighting about were emotional-based And if we, and we were living in the same house together while going through the legal process with separate lawyers trying to sell our dream house. And so you've got so many emotions going on and that is very hard to wade through on your own without professionals to help guide you. Like you need to not make this decision at this point. And my question about that, when you're working with couples, do those couples solely come to you because they want to have an amicable divorce and they they want to do it together? Sure. So uh, mediation, yes, it is a voluntary process and
1: both parties need to be committed to it. Okay. Um, Typically I'll do an intake with each side just to make sure that we're on the same page. Um, We have to be careful to make sure that no one feels like they're in a a position that they're feeling like they're uh, on the opposite side of the power struggle, that they maybe are coming in uh, with a lack of knowledge about the finances or a lack of knowledge about the business, whatever it might be. So it's important that both parties feel that they're coming into it on equal grounds. um, And they both need to know that this process is completely confidential. Um, So, you know, bad mouthing each other on Facebook, those are not things, those are not good Uh, actors in a mediation. You know, you need to come to the table looking for peace and looking for a settlement that is reasonable and that you both can agree to.
0: And then how often from mediation do you end up having to split off and be like, this isn't going to work. We have to get another. What has to happen in order for you as a professional to say, I think you guys need separate counsel?
1: i think that after one session i can get an idea of what the issues are we can kind of issue identify and then plan accordingly for our future mediations uh sometimes we need one sometimes we need three depending on what the issues are um i like to tell people to focus focus on the parenting first because oftentimes that leads us in the right direction uh when you start off dealing with money um that can oftentimes you know implode our mediation because people get very defensive um, and feel almost times awkward discussing the finances uh, so financial issues sometimes
0: blow up the cases. Um, when you say focusing on parenting first, does that mean you're working with them on the parenting schedule like the the, the shared custody schedule? What do you mean specifically for focus on parenting first?
1: Um, sure, so there's two. There's two main documents of your divorce or your dissolution. You know, those two words are used interchangeably. And, and to be clear, a dissolution is, is when you pretty much agree to all the terms. You maybe you have both have a lawyer, maybe you have a mediator working with you, but you can enter into agreements um, without court intercession. A dis a divorce is when you just don't see eye to eye and you need to have a court come in and intervene. Um so in the divorce or dissolution process there's two documents and the one document is your parenting plan and the other document is your separation agreement Um, so i like to focus in on the parenting plan and i like to leave all the money out of that parenting plan so we're not going to talk about child support we're not going to talk about who's going to pay for football and who's going to pay for soccer we're just going to talk about the schedule we're going to talk about the things that we value in each other um, as parents that we can put into paper and agree that this is how we're going to continue our relationship with our children. Can you give me an example of that? Um, sure. A lot of times a big ticket issue is going to be residential parenting. Okay. Um, that's a, a red flag. People latch onto that for different reasons.
0: Because um, of the title of it, like I'm a resident, of it. even if they're in the same city,
1: because exactly. somebody, it's somebody has to be
0: the residential parent. Someone has to be the residential parent, and that
1: normally comes down to what school district is your child going to attend. Um, if you have a parent in Shaker Heights and a parent in University Heights, you need to decide which school district they're going to go to, and then that parent becomes the residential parent. But people you know, put so much focus on that word um, that sometimes we can work out the details of residential parent without making such a point of, I am the residential parent and I right. get to be the school parent. Because that's not really what it is. It's just where you're going to school or where your kids are attending school. And
0: it can be ironed out, like you said, in the paperwork where you write down how they're going to make all decisions based on schooling, based on exactly. medical. So for the, this is the parenting plan, not yes. the separation agreement. Correct. The parenting plan also includes schedule. Yes. And what is your, so schedule is a huge ticket item I get a lot of questions about. Everyone's got different schedules. I have one friend that's got one week on one week off. I have um, five two is it five two? You, you five, yeah. five. um which means I'm Monday Tuesday my ex is Wednesday Thursday and then we switch off every Friday Saturday Sunday so you get five but for me like my big ticket item more than anything else was I wanted to be with my kids every single day after school Because that's what I'd always done. And that's what they were used to. And so that was like what I really put all of my eggs, all my eggs in that basket. My question to you, since you've been doing this for so long, is scheduling. So we've got that. Then my um, husband, who I'm married to now, he's got younger children. So they did two, two, three. Is that right? Two, two, three. Which means they always, every other week, they have Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, Thursday. I didn't like that for my kids. Because my kids are always like, where am I today? Like whose house am I at? And if they knew it's Monday, Tuesday, I'm with mom and it's Wednesday, Thursday, I'm with dad. I noticed for them, they felt more secure having a consistent, these are the days I'm with you. These are the days I'm with dad. So what have you seen about that in terms of scheduling that, like what experience do you have with that?
1: Sure. Um, A lot of times people will say, you know, what is the standard? So when, I say, what's the standard? I'm going to look to the county that we're filing in. So Cuyahoga, Lake, Geauga, Portage, you know, all the surrounding counties and look at what their local rules say about a standard parenting time schedule. They vary from, you know, jurisdiction to jurisdiction um, and they're very bare bones. So the, the beauty in working through mediation or dissolution is, is that you don't have to use the ruled uh schedule that the courts recommend. You can make up your own. And like you said, some people like the week off, the week on. Other people want to see their children every day. Um, And with the mediation process, you can work together to pick something that works for mother, works for father, and works for the children um, without, you know, taking the, you know, the boilerplate language that the courts give us. They've been researched and, you know, the Supreme Court has weighed in on, what types of plans are appropriate, but the best plan is the plan that you put together for your children with your spouse.
0: So with that being said, because I believe in a North Star divorce more than what the parents need is, is there a plan that you think is best for the children? Just not based on evidence, just based on your experience. I, I
1: have seen the best, I guess, parenting schedules follow the 2255 that really is what there's a lot of uh, research and support um based in that schedule uh you know child psychologists have weighed in on it um pediatricians parents and it just seems to give the kids a schedule that they can expect and it gives um a lot of uh time between each household um and it's something that everybody can rely on and understand uh, the plans that I see fall apart are plans that have something in place, but no flexibility. So if parents, you know, can't agree to makeup time or changing, you know, whatever birthday party they might have scheduled, um, the flexibility is a key part of any, of any type of plan.
0: That is such an important word that you just used because If you are entering into your divorce with your co-parent and you don't understand that this is going to be all about flexibility, it's insane because in regular life, when you're living together and you're trying to raise children, there's nothing that's standard. Everything is, you're doing the best you can, right? We're in the middle of a pandemic. Like nothing is normal anymore. And the idea that you can't switch You know, I think for me, the experience I have working with clients is that only comes into place when there's anger and resentment and scorekeeping, which does nothing for the children. And, you know, I have someone that I knew that their child was really sick, but it was the the other parent's time to take them. And the child was comfortable with one parent treating them medically, and the parent made them leave because it was their time. And it's like, that's just not putting what's best for the children. So flexibility is massive. Like My co-parent and I moved on purpose four blocks away because as you know, it takes a massive village to do this and you forget power cords and you forget shoes and goggles and everything. And you need to be able to have that open back and forth.
1: I agree. It's it, the cases that I, you know, fight in, in court when we're in divorce or even post decree, meaning after the divorce is final, parents coming back because they can't have that flexibility or one parent is keeping score and you've had them for 12 hours and I want them for 15 or whatever it might be. Um, and those are, those are the terrible situations where I, I advocate for my client, obviously, if, if that's what they want, then that's what I fight for. Um, But then the personal side of it is I can't believe these people are fighting over something that, you know, it's not in the best interest of the child.
0: And that's really what is the focus, obviously, of what I do. and, And I think what you do as well and what I am reading. So I'm getting a lot of anonymous letters from divorced children who are currently in divorced homes and from adult children. And one of the huge complaints was always being put in the middle and feeling like somebody was always unhappy about something that was result that was from them. Like I want to be with them. And they were hearing the parents fighting about situations that were only because of them. And the parents were just not able to be flexible and reasonable. And I think that again, the only reason I see that is because of baggage that they won't let go of.
1: Right. You know, there's so many emotions involved in divorce. I mean, you've got anger, resentment, fear, um, there's so many, so many issues that are behind our arguments about something similar to, you know, the child is sick, has the flu, they're in bed, we, you gotta get them up and send them over to the other parents' house. That's not what's best. Right, because um, it's my
0: time. Right. Exactly. I think that um what I'm learning along the way. So when I first went through my divorce, I was originally with my children a hundred percent of the time. I worked from home and I was the sole caretaker, and their dad worked a lot. And so on one hand, it ended up being a really positive thing for their dad and their relationship because we do 50-50 sleepover custody. And that means that they get to spend a lot more time with their dad, which every child needs. But what I kept dealing with in the beginning of my of being a single parent was I would constantly in my mind try to figure out a, a schedule change that I could make so I could see my children more. And there isn't one. Like mm-hmm. That's one of the things that I because I also coach couples who are trying to figure out if they want to get a divorce or not. Mm -hmm. And I talk to them about like the reality is like, even if you have the best possible co-parenting situation, you're going to miss half of the time with your kids. And it's a painful thing for a parent who really loves to be with them. So, you know, I know that this must be a huge issue that you deal with is that scheduling. And once they get to that scheduling, do you normally see that families keep that indefinitely? Normally
1: not. So uh, when I go through mediation, normally the parents are reasonable. They're looking to work together. That's why they're there. They're voluntarily there. Um, So in those cases, uh, the, the, the schedule that we put together at our initial mediation is fluid. So they can adjust it. Um, typically the language that I would put in their final, uh, paperwork would be that, uh, unless they agree otherwise, this is what it will be. And most of the time they're going to agree otherwise when something comes up in life. Um, a lot of my cases that are post-degree are arguments over we need to modify the schedule and one parent is just not willing to make the change for one reason or another, um, a lot of times it comes to blended families when you have new spouses on either side and you know, larger families and getting them all on the same schedule yes. uh, sometimes can be a problem. And a lot of times what, what goes on post-decree is arguments over blending the families. And it's a lot of work with scheduling, but it can be done. It is. Um, and it's important to do. And piggybacking on to what you said about missing your children, that is true. I mean, you have to come to terms with the fact that you're going to more than likely lose 50% of the time, but you have to think of it as a gain as well. Um, You know, it builds a relationship between your children and and the other parents. Uh, And it also allows the parent who doesn't have the time to explore some new options, Yes, Uh, you know, put their energy into something. And then it's important to be Uh, you know, separate. You're a parent always, but you're important to have a life outside of that. And I think it, it creates a nice balance if parents can co-parent and,
0: uh, I'm so glad you brought that up because since my divorce, I am always creating bucket lists and of things I want to do in, and I let my children know about it. And since my divorce, I've probably done more than 50 things on my bucket list. And, and while My friend, Scott Simon, the one who taught me about the North Star divorce, he said that I have to create a life separately from my children when I'm not with them that I'm excited to go to even though I miss them. And what I found is my children are inspired by watching their mom, who's not only a mom, do other things. And that actually was a huge blessing for my divorce. It was one of the gifts is that you get to become something other than just a mom or a dad.
1: That's true. I there's a lot of growth and change that comes out of divorces, be it negative or positive. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ones that I see with the children thriving are the ones that people focus in on the positives and make a life for themselves and their children after the divorce. That sometimes can even be better because during the marriage, a lot of times there's a lot of arguments, there's a lot of animosity. Um, when those are taken out of the picture, the children's lives can flourish better because there's not that gray
0: cloud hanging over you know, the time that they're spending together with mom and dad under one roof. I have a question for you. So one of my two rules when I work with clients, I have two rules that are non-negotiable. One is they are not allowed to ever say anything negative about the other parent in front of the child including if they hear someone in the other room or someone in their family or friends saying it with an earshot of their children, they're supposed to stop that dead in its tracks because the damage that it does to a child to hear that about their parent. But the other, which I actually find is the hardest thing I've ever asked people to do, which seems so simple, is they have to sit next to each other or close to each other at all events. So track meets, plays, choir concerts, baseball, you don't have to be next to each other snuggling. You just need to be in the same visual area. So when your kid gets two seconds to look up, they see their parents waving with their cameras. And it gives me chills when I talk about it because when I talk to my clients about it, they're like, oh no, 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 no. And I'm like, you don't understand what it does to your kid to have to look in two different directions and be like, my parents can't even be in the same space together. And so my question to you is, do you ever write that in? Uh, We- We
1: do write them in in agreements uh, where both parties understand this and are in the same mind frame as what you're saying. Um, And those are the cases that typically come through my mediation practice. The ones where the parents are willing to put aside their differences to support the children. um, Those are the great cases. Those are the cases that I enjoy working on. Um, But there is an awful, horrible flip side to it of parents that can't even be in the same room. They can't even go to the, they have to have their kids enrolled in different sports where one only goes to the basketball games and one only goes to the baseball games. And when you look at how it affects the child, it's terrible. So- It's the
0: number one thing that was consistent on every single letter was my, for the people who had a hard time, where my parents could not even be at my birthday party together. My parents could not be at my child's birth together. My parents cannot be at, my, at their grandchildren's birthday party together. They can't show up at anything together. They can't be in the same room. And if they are together, the child or the adult child is afraid of the tension it's going to create or their wedding or any of things. Mm-hmm. And when you step back, when you and I step back, we're like, this is ridiculous, like get over yourselves. What is your problem? but I don't think that the parents who are going through it understand the effect it's having on their children and the damage it's doing. So let me ask you this, because I know that the mediation is definitely the route that I wish everybody would go with you. How much of your work is actually representing a single client in divorce?
1: I would say that my practice is pretty much split 50 50. I've got a lot of cases that go through the courts where I represent one person. Um, And then the other side of my practice is, you know, mediating couples, but it's hard because I wear multiple hats in my profession. And I need to be very clear with clients that if you retain me as your mediator, I cannot then be one party's lawyer or the other party's lawyer. I have they
0: can't to be like, oh, I like Danielle, I want her.
1: Exactly. So it's very important that when one person contacts me in a relationship about mediation, I let them know now that we've had this conversation, I cannot represent you uh, on an individual basis. So I encourage your spouse to reach out to me. Let's talk about if we can do this. And if we can, great. Then we're going to mediate together. Um, But there cannot be any kind of gray area in either your mediator or your lawyer. Um, There are some instances where Uh, couples choose to mediate but also have lawyers involved so there's a mediator and a lawyer on each side Um, and that can kind of help in relationships where one party feels uh, you know that they have less of an advantage when you're talking about finances or less of an advantage when you're talking about business to have a lawyer on your side that can review things and give you positive feedback and the confidence to know that yes this is the right decision for you but keep it amicable. So, you know, the lawyers aren't fighting over uh, silly details for you. They're just trying to explain to you, this is right because this is the decision that you've made.
0: So in that sense, as a mediator, you're almost like a judge really, but that's just not in, in the actual court system. Like you're, because they each have a lawyer on each side and then there's a mediator? Yes. So
1: in a mediator role, people will often say, well, what are you going to do for me? Like, what is your, your job? So my job can be whatever my clients want it to be. Um, in some instances, as a mediator, and, and when we work these things out, going into it. So we'll have an initial consultation and talk about what are our goals and
0: what are our rules. Um, and some, I love that question. What are our goals? Yes. So Do parents tell you what they want at the end of it? The goal is to make a list
1: of our top five parenting issues and then our top five separation issues, and then see how quickly we can whittle through those to see if both parents have their number one on the list of one to five as the same thing, which it might be, um, who's going to pay for college. Someone might put that on the top of their list. And then the other parent there have, you know, financial concerns or the children are, you know, looking to go to some very expensive private school. Um, And if we're both on the same page that we both are worried about this, then we put that top on our list. And then um, that's an issue you help them mediate through. Exactly. And in that, in one situation, they may say to me, We want to both air our sides of what we think should happen and we want you to listen to that and then help us to make a decision together the flip side of that may be we're going to each tell you how we feel about this but we want you to tell us what the court would say yeah and i can do that because i have the experience in the courts to know obviously every judge is different every magistrate is different but to know the law behind what a, what are the courts going to hold you to and the answer to something like that is simple the courts aren't going to force uh payment for college right, yeah if, if you want to agree to that great but the court is not going to force that upon anybody
0: the court's um, so, not going to force a parent to spend a certain amount of money on a bar mitzvah exactly they're, they're going to be say, like if that's your craziness that you want to agree to then you agree to that but we have right. nothing but some people need me to actually
1: say A "I know." court does not care about I, your bar mitzvah or but whatever it really might need be. that
0: That's where you come in where it's so valuable because, you know, some uh, people in the co-parenting situation, one of them is motivated by money. And so right. when you explain to them, this is how much it's going to cost in court. And then this is what's going to most likely happen because of my experience with the law. Then they're like, oh, I don't want to take that risk. Exactly. So will you tell me what do you think are the big issues you see people, the big ticket issues?
1: Um, So the big ticket issues are going to be every divorce, there's money. Money is always a problem. Um, Either there's too much of it, there's not enough of it. Uh, one party is you know primarily out in the working world the other parent is home providing care for the children there's just always a question of money and, and like I said the best way to handle it especially when you have children is to deal with the scheduling and the parenting time first see what you work out see what that schedule is going to look like um, and then based off of that we can see what the child support should be the laws have changed recently um, when looking at spouse or child support and we're looking at uh, how much time each parent is spending with the children as opposed to just looking at their income. We're actually looking, is it 50-50 or is it 40-60? And then the courts award the support based on your parenting plan, which makes sense. Um, So the money's always at the top. Um, I'm sorry, before we get to your
0: issues, this, this the shared parenting plan, we do the schedule, all that big, what else is in there before you get to the money?
1: Um, so we also talk about transportation. So okay. who's going to do drive the, the doctors? Yeah. Okay. Um, we talk about assumption of responsibility, which is a big ticket that I don't believe a lot of people think about. Meaning if your day is day one of the 2255, does that mean that when the when the children i guess used to go to school yeah. uh, if someone gets sick what parent Who stays is home.
0: Who that's home that's so a big that's one that's a big one that's a big
1: question yeah um, what else goes into our parenting plan how we're gonna agree on activities um you know if one of your children is you know into competitive dance uh how are we going to structure our schedule around you know an every night couple hour dance practice Got it. Routine? Um, so those are the things that go into the parenting plan only about raising your children. That's what has nothing
0: to do with money. It's just about how are we going to handle all the things that go go with having children? Exactly. Okay. And then what about the separation agreement? So the separation
1: agreement is all the finances. So that's where you get the money. That's the money. So we're talking about, you know, real estate, retirement assets, um, spousal support, Child support, uh, all of the assets and debts, um, all of those things are going to go into your separation agreement.
0: Okay, what other big issues besides money do you see um, that people like can't mediate through? That they're like, I need my own lawyer because we can't agree on this.
1: Um, There is a lot of cases where parents can't share parenting, so they can't be co-parents. They want to be uh, sole custodial, meaning I get to make all of the decisions for this child. And in some cases it's warranted because the other party um, may be clouded in judgment because of different dependency issues, mental health, um, maturity levels. Uh, those cases typically cannot be cases that can be mediated because it, it's really parents on polar opposite sides. Um, so that's a ticket that comes through that it, it's always an uphill battle. It's always a hard one. Um, and in the end, when we have those custody fights, which I don't advise people to have, um, it gets really expensive. and Custody. Custody yeah, issue. Exactly. Is that
0: your, you think that's the most painful part of the of, – Of people who are not willing to agree? Yes, the custody. And then let's talk about that. Does that mean that's when you get a guardian ad litem involved?
1: Yeah, so the guardian ad litem is uh, the best option for parties that are really having a hard time that they've come to the court to say we can't work this out. Um, The guardian ad litem would be appointed by the court or by motion from either side to say we need you to step in here and help us decide what's in the best interest of our child or our children. And then the guardian ad litem has the job of looking through all of the records, looking through the school records, the medical records, the parents' employment, grandparents' involvement, uh, all of those things that have an impact on the children. And then in the end, uh, if it comes down to a trial or an evidentiary hearing, that guardian ad litem is gonna write a written report that is gonna be filed in your case that says, this is what I recommend in this case. And that's what you end up with.
0: I actually think it's probably the worst thing you could do to your children because, and obviously this is separating from like abusive situations where you have to do that. Like, I'm not talking about that. Of course, any parent needs to do what they need to do if there is a, an abusive situation or an unsafe situation for your children. But when it's about just the anger and the scorekeeping, my biggest fear and my deal breaker that I was never willing to go to was I never wanted my children involved in the court process and the legal process. I never wanted them in front of an expert of any sort. I wanted them to have absolutely nothing to do with it. And I was willing to lose everything for that because I didn't want them. I have a friend who's, the parents literally cannot communicate at all. They're not, they can't email, call, text at all. No communication. And they can't even drop their children off to each other. They have to drop their children off in a parking lot. The guardian and the lady has to meet them in the parking lot. Then the kids go from that car to the parent's car. The other, because they can't even be in the same, like connect, they can't even be six feet apart from each other. And that is, you know, that is common. And those That's are the so
1: sad where they need someone like you or yeah. their own separate uh, mental health professionals it really is work through those emotional issues. Because, I mean, I have it all the time. They got to meet in the police station parking lot to exchange the kids.
0: What, what do you think those children what feel? What do you think that does for those children, right? When it's they terrible. see this. My parents can't even drop me off at the other person's house. It's not fair to the kids, but a lot of parents do it. And
1: I hope that we can get through to them to let them know this is not the best way to handle it. Um, You really got to look at what's best for your children. Yes,
0: What I want to say, and I want your, uh, your professional opinion about this, is I truly believe that you can have a North Star divorce if only one parent wants it. And that doesn't mean it's going to be yummy all the time, but that means, let's say the one parent that you're all behaving like this, it's horrible. And then one of the parents hears us talking and is like, I can't keep doing this to my children. This is horrible. And they make the decision to take the high road and they make the decision to show up at the birthday party, even though it's going to be uncomfortable. And they make the decision, I'm just going to bring you to bring the kids to your house. And they start having the kids make cards for dad or mom on mother's day and father's day and doing those extra little things. Do you think it's possible for, I personally think it's possible in my experience, but do you think it's possible legally what you're seeing to go from this horrible mess to, I'm going to change the way I'm doing this?
1: I think with the proper um, intercessions by uh, mental health professionals, you know, spiritual guidance, whatever it might be parents can move from a terrible place to a place that is more uplifting and positive for their children. Um, typically when one parent decides to do that, the other parent follows suit, um, yes. especially in cases where we're in front of the court and everybody's watching you, you're under a microscope. And if you take the higher road and you make that birthday card with your five year old for father or mother, uh, that looks great. And you're doing something wonderful. And then if that person takes it and
0: tears it up, the court, it's not your business And it looks horrible. <laughs> exactly. So and yeah, it's always, it's like Michelle Obama always knew what she was talking about. It's all about taking the high road. I, I said to my coach at the time, I was like, there's no traffic up here where I am. There is no traffic because all there is, is a high road and there's not it's, a yeah. lot of people up here, but it's about, showing up and growing up and letting it go because my kids are the ones who suffer. If I don't, you're completely right. It's not comfortable. I mean, what I want people to know is like, this is about being like a Grammy award winning actor. So your kids don't have to suffer. And one of the things that I make my clients do when we're doing coaching and one of my clients just did this and it was so awesome is I make them write a letter, almost like the ghost of Christmas past mm-hmm. from their children as if their children were adults telling them what it was like to grow up in this horrible divorce if they don't change anything. And when they have to like really hear like their children's voice of like what it was like. I mean, when I told my grandmother, I was getting a divorce who'd gone through the Holocaust. She said that the worst part of her entire life was not the Holocaust. It was being an adult child of divorce with her two parents who would make her feel horrible if she was sitting at a holiday dinner and they knew she was going to leave for dessert for the other parents' house. And they made an adult feel horrible. Mm -hmm. And it's just not fair.
1: It's amazing how much power you have in these cases to make things great for your children or to make things really terrible. And and it's a huge burden on the parents, uh, but it is an important burden to take on and make sure that your children are served best by whatever it is that you and your spouse can agree to, even if it means, you know, putting on a smiling face and going to that uh, track meet where you can't stand the other party, but you're doing it for your kids.
0: Yes. So you've got your issues. So we, we take care of the scheduling. We take care of the assumption of responsibility. We're dealing with the money, child support, spousal, all of that. And then what are the other big ticket items?
1: Um, a lot of, you know, incidentals. So we're talking about who's going to carry the health insurance, who is going to get what car. Uh, right. If you've got children that are driving, who's going to pay for the
0: insurance? Who's so it's a lot pay- about money.
1: A lot about money still, but we're talking about, you know, our everyday expenses and that you don't even think about it to be expensive you know yes. they're expensive when they're little they're expensive when they grow up um and so a lot of dealing with the financial side of things but when it comes to your children's everyday necessities
0: something that i would love listeners to listen to hear is so i have three kids one of them is got a crazy amount of medical stuff And one of our dear, dear friends is going through a really scary medical thing. Their parents are together. But I thought about like, oh my goodness, if his parents were divorced and he was going through this horrible medical thing, can you imagine the extra burden of not being able to be in the hospital together? And so do you ever address something like that in an agreement? Um, Yes. So part of every,
1: you know, basic shared parenting plan is going to have rules surrounding illness, be it an emergency illness or an ongoing illness um, that requires in, in the ideal parenting plan, both parents to be involved, um, both, both parents to make decisions jointly on what happens with that child's treatment. If possible, if it's an emergency. Possible. Yeah, right, right. And if we get into a, a, a spot where they're not seeing eye to eye, it's important to craft language in your parenting plan to deal with? What happens if we don't agree that, you know, Joey should be on ADHD medicine? It's a big
0: thing thing that comes up.
1: Um, And so the best case scenario, at least in my experience, is to uh, meet with maybe a parenting coordinator or meet with the pediatrician. And, you know, the pediatrician is the person that you've gone to for your children's health. Uh, and, you know, defer to that person's recommendation, it's easier said than done, because if one parent doesn't agree with the pediatrician, then they want to get a second opinion. And, you know, it can turn into this snowball effect of then going back into court and fighting over everything all over again. So
0: that was actually the one of the only good things I did when I was doing our, our agreement, that we put in our agreement If we can't decide on a medical issue, our pediatrician who we both trust is going to be the deal breaker. That's great. And it did not include a second opinion. It included just him. And we both trust him with our children's lives. And poor guys had to hear a lot from us during the (laughs) pandemic because who planned during their divorce, how are you going to deal with a pandemic? And no school, no camp, exposure circles. I mean, I don't know if you're getting a lot of calls, but I can tell you- that the divorce circle and blended families is massive.
1: It's true. Uh, I've seen a major increase in cases regarding what are we supposed to do? Yes. Uh, And, you know, which parent is going to be the parent that can, you know, assist these children with their online learning? And do I keep them, uh, you know, in quarantine if the other parent is say a doctor or a nurse you know how are we handling right and uh it's been a challenge and the court's heard a lot of cases very recently about these issues most jurisdictions do have guidance for how to handle your parenting plan and most of the jurisdictions say stick with whatever plan it is that you have and each parent should have you know the time that is allotted for them uh but it, it gets to be sticky when you're talking about you know specific situations of children that have you know any type of illness. Uh, again, parents that are first responders, uh, parents that can't take off work uh, to be with the children. Those are all you know issues that need to be worked through that we could have never anticipated when we oh put on
0: these earth. plans years ago. But if you don't have that flexible co-parenting relationship, for example, my ex his partner got covid and mm-hmm. because we get along he's like i need to take care of her and i'm like of course mm-hmm. you do so i had our children for like 3 straight weeks which actually was lovely for us but like if the situation wasn't what we'd set it up to be it could have been a nightmare because it have definitely been a nightmare who can even think about how to deal with this? I mean, and the poor doctors who have to deal with real medical stuff are having to hear all of our divorce problems. Like, what do I do when my ex's girlfriend's sister comes to town? You know what I mean? It's a lot. It is a lot. And that's why it's really important to have the
1: flexibility in your agreements when yeah. you sit down and finalize everything and to have people um, that you can count on if those issues do come up. Yes. So a mediator that you either appoint, you appoint them through your final documents to say, we're gonna work with either this person or we are going to work with a mediator before we take anything to court. We're gonna work with a parenting coordinator, a parenting planner, you know, there's so many different options. Um, and on top of that, we're each going to get our own counseling so that way we can learn to effectively, you know, co-parent and communicate. Right. Um, Those are, you know, those are very important things that need
0: to be considered because you never know what's going to happen. No, you don't. I have a few more questions. You are so valuable. I love it. Um, What do you think the, like, if you could create a perfect mediation and the people actually trusted and were like, Danielle, you just tell us what to do and we'll sign on the dotted line. What are the like two or three must haves in place so the kids have the best chance of a happy life?
1: Sure. So I would say we've talked a lot about schedule. Schedule is really important, and it's a hard one because it needs to be fluid and flexible. Um, So number one, I like to have everybody get their calendars and like let's look at, you know, the past six months and sort of base our, our temporary future on what we've been doing and how can we continue to do that. E- living in separate households. So that is going to set you up for success. If you can put together a schedule that uh, you can all count on and that can be flexible. Um, Decision making. That's another huge part is to decide if we don't agree, what are we
0: going to do? And How about when we don't agree? Exactly. It's not going to be it. Even the best people on earth are going to disagree about things like when we don't agree. That's,
1: that is true. And when you don't agree, what are you going to do? And I would say, you know, you're going to go to a neutral party instead of going to the court who they have laws in place and they have, they have rules and they're just going to follow that. And that's what they're going to tell you to do. And a lot of times it doesn't grant you any relief. So you need to be able to have someone else that you can count on, a neutral party, someone that's looking out for your kid's best interests to help through those situations.
0: So one of the things I would like the listeners to know who are divorced or are about to get divorced um, that I learned along the way that I needed to use my voice about and that I kind of had to teach my co-parent was I cannot get any emotionally based emails or text messages or calls during my work time Mm -hmm. because it's so overwhelming for me if we're about obviously not an emergency like medical but like I can't have you approach me my ex approach me with like a a co-parenting issue while I'm at work like I then I'm like I can't use I'm not useful right so I had to set that boundary with him and one of the things that we both do really well is when we do call each other we say, is this a good time to talk? Which is really weird to say to someone that you used to be married to, but it's about setting a new way to communicate because you have to show that respect because it is really hard to deal with so much emotional stuff just when you want to deal with it. When you're married to someone, you just, you don't tell your husband, is this a good time to talk to you about something that's really hard? You're just like, oh my God, guess what, right? And so we need to talk about that.
1: You have to think of it as a business relationship, right? I mean, it all goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning that you got to put the emotions aside and treat, you know, your ex-spouse or your co-parent similar to the way you would treat, you know, treat a colleague. Is it now a good time to talk? Uh, We've got some wonderful applications that we can use now um, to co-parent together. Um, There's an app called Our Family Wizard. Yeah. Is
0: that the one that like gets you in trouble if your tone is bad? Yeah, they have a tone meter. Yeah. So, so I said know. to one of my coaches, to one of my coaching clients, I said, go download Grammarly on mm-hmm. your talk, write what you're gonna say in Grammarly, and then it's gonna give you an emoji. And the emoji is gonna either be like business or sad or happy. Write a couple of extra words in there to make it sound happy because someone's looking at that. And then yeah. you copy and paste it into that. I mean That's we all true. we all need a tone
1: thing. All of us you do you need to check, you know, you need to check your attitude and your tone before you send those. You know, snarky emails because they're really not useful, and that's what those apps do: is they stop you from, you know, bringing in <laughs> issues. You're just going to talk about, you know, what time is practice tonight, and right. you know, Joe have his shoes or whatever it might be. Um, and and those are really helpful. There's a lot of great new um, and great technology pieces that we can use to co-parent. What other ones do you love? Um I like also like the fact that we can now use a lot of um Zoom meetings for yeah. for for mediation for uh getting any type of mental health help for getting a child psychologist input it's so much easier now with everybody relying on you know the technology that we can get people involved quicker and more efficiently uh using this technology and and I think it's great for most court purposes um, that we're not uh, going into the courthouse, sitting in the benches outside, waiting and waiting. It's so uncomfortable. Um, most cases that I've been working with now, we're on Zoom and we have Zoom rooms and you know, you might put the clients in a room and the lawyers talk with the court, um, but it's much more efficient and uh, it makes things run smoother.
0: And I think that like, no matter how hard you're working on being a good co-parent, it's uncomfortable being in the room with someone that you're trying to separate from and talking about really uncomfortable issues. And I think that like, this is one of the blessings of the pandemic is we get to do it from our computer. Exactly. And you know, in the comfort of your
1: home and quickly, and it also helps, you know, with the fees. I mean, you've got legal fees as a mediator, you know, you have fees that are similar to legal fees and everybody's trying to save money and they don't want to spend all of their money on you sitting in the hallway, chatting with your attorney friend while they're waiting on, you know, their custody case. Right. uh, It it really helps to streamline things and
0: make people more comfortable and confident with the process. Um, I have one last question. You've been so helpful for those listening who are divorced or going through a divorce and know, and are holding on to emotional baggage. What guidance do you have from the professional standpoint that you, all of your experience, do you have to help them get through that? Uh, every time I meet with either
1: one parent, the other parent, mother, father, you know, husband, wife, even in in situations where there's not children involved. The number one advice that I give them is to get yourself some sort of counselor. So be it a um divorce coach, a relationship coach, um, a therapist, a counselor, you know, priest, rabbi, whoever it might be, you need someone in your corner that can help you um, you know, separate the anger and the contempt and the unease and the regret and all those things that are compounding on top of the stress of getting divorced and splitting your assets you need number one someone that you can go to to talk about those things and it can't be me it can't be your lawyer because i'm looking at it from the business side of things and i'm trying to do what we need to do to get you through the court process um i am a counselor but i'm not your emotional counselor i'm your legal counsel you need counsel for your
0: emotions so helpful. So with all that juicy goodness you just shared, tell me what you walk away with in your own marriage. So you don't end up needing someone like you. What have you learned <laughs> to apply to your current awesome relationship, which I'm sure, sure has ups and downs. What have you learned that you're like, I need to vary like to be way better at this. Mm-hmm.
1: I think communication, it all boils down to being a good communicator and being clear with the way that you feel. Uh, I have a tendency to, I know this is surprising since I'm a divorce (laughs) lawyer, but to, you know, sometimes bottle up those emotions and not be vocal about it. And that just leads to arguments. If you can, you know, be upfront about the way you're feeling, normally you can nip things in the bud and get to them before it becomes a a marital issue that you need to have marital counseling for, and then potentially end up in some sort of separation. So, you know, being vocal about what your concerns are and being flexible. I mean, it's, it's hard to be a parent. Um, And there's a lot of pressure on both sides. But giving that flexibility, which
0: if you end up in a divorce, you also need um, the flexibility in the communication. That is so awesome. I'm so, Danielle, I am so grateful for your persistence and your work ethic. I hope that we can have the opportunity to help couples and families rewrite the story of divorce. I hope that you can get to a place where you have more mediations and less divorce court because I don't see how it benefits the children at all. Um, and for any who want to connect with Danielle, please email her. Is it okay if I share your email or should I just yeah. put it at d- yeah, dwilsonlaw at gmail.com? She is very responsive and awesome. And for any listeners out there who want help with divorce coaching, please contact me at in Your Coach at Gmail. I will also include these in the episode notes. Remember, we get to write the next chapter for our kids, for ourselves and for the world around us. Thank you, Danielle.
1: Thanks so much, Carly. It was great talking with you.